This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, a conversation between Director Sean San Jose and CIIS faculty and performance maker Erica Chong Shook about ghosts, spirituality, and memory in performance. The talk was recorded on October 23rd, 2016, in front of a live audience in San Francisco, in collaboration with the MFA Theatre Making and Performance Program as part of the Dancing with the So Called Dead Festival. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. So Sean, uh, we are so happy that you are here to join us. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Happy to be part of a festival that deals with these things. Yeah, because you kind of deal with these things a little bit. I think so. I think uh, for sure. Yeah, I think the dead. I think I definitely deal with every day. Like the Grateful Dead? No. Oh. How do you feel about no. the Grateful Dead? I would say no. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from San Francisco, but no, thank you. Did you How ever do? You do feel, you, I feel okay. Do you ever? Did you ever do this? <laughs> I didn't plan for this, but did you ever? Did, do like tailgating? No, did you ever do? Did you ever? Did you ever go to like tailgating parties like before a concert or before a sporting event? Uh, sure. Because yeah. I was thinking about like how the Grateful Dead shows. I never. I think I got into one show, but I uh, <laughs> would go to the parking lot and hang out before, and that was like that was where the party was at. I, I remember I went to see. I seen uh, Miles Davis at, at at the Greek Theater. And the the. the Silly, funny thing about it was when I was coming up, this dude grabbed me right before I come in. He says, "Miracle ticket, miracle ticket." Yeah. I was like, no, I'm cool. I got, I got a ticket. It was like, no, I have a ticket for the Grateful Dead. Yeah. That was it. I want Miles a miracle every day. So, uh, There's a whole miracle song, Sean. You should bust it out. Oh, I missed the. Yeah, it's different. Reference. <laughs> um, Sean is awesome. He's a director and writer and performer and co-founder of a company called Camposanto, which is a, a performance company primarily working with people of color. And the company was founded in what, 1996? That's a long time ago. Years. Oh my gosh. And you guys have a new show right now. We have a new show right now at the Magic Theater. What uh, is it? It's called Nogales by uh, Richard Montoya, the great... Uh, artist Richard Montoya from the group Culture Clash. Yeah, it's really exciting. Opening the Magic's 50th, 50th season. And you you developed the work in collaboration with yourself and with Camposanto? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a piece that we developed with uh, Mr. Montoya over the last few years. What's 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 the blurb? What's it about? Well, speaking of uh, the dead, you know, it's it's a piece that uh, was in response to a murder. In Nogales, Mexico, which is the border, uh, the southern end of Arizona here, uh, a young boy, 16-year-old boy, was murdered by the U.S. Border Patrol shooting into Mexico, shot in the back um, for throwing rocks. Um, and, and so that's, that's the jump off. Um, we're trying to figure out what country we live in that allows things like that to happen. Yeah. They happen everywhere, but they also happen along the border. Can you say the boy's name? The boy's name, yeah, is uh, Jose Antonio Lena Rodriguez. Say his name many times in the night. Can you say it again? 
Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez. Do you know where his name came from? Like who he was named after? Or? No, uh, but you know, like most Mexican kids, he named after uh, a bunch of different family members. So what has what has the process been like creating that specific? I, I'm specifically curious around like the the research yeah, behind it's, creating. Yeah, it's, it's all research, really, <clears throat> in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Richard Montoya, with culture class they've done for many years, they do these pieces where they'll go into a, a city, they'll go into a place, and not like create a piece of interviews, but rather uh, get a, a picture of a place. And then they'll regenerate it and show you that picture back, which is to say it's not verbatim text. It's not mm. interviews trying to create some verisimilitude of what people act like. Or I think they call it, you guys might call it in the program, docu-theater, which I'm not sure what that is exactly, but it's not that. It's mm-hmm. much more about going into a place, responding to people, and then trying to uh, tell a story back. Yeah, uh, for those people, but also for ourselves. And so with this, we went to Nogales. All we knew was a boy had been murdered by the U.S. Border Patrol, and we wanted to figure out why. And then um, the exploration informs the piece, if that makes sense. So we went there without saying, knowing much, and without trying to say any statement other than, how could this happen? Why did it happen? And it led us to Sheriff Joe Arpaio in Phoenix, one of the head policymakers, anti-immigrant, anti-Obama, basically anti-people of color, uh, people that have been in power for more than four decades. Led us to the boy's grandmother. Mm. Led us to the safe houses in, in Nogales where people are sent back to. Led us to the Jesuits, the Sisters of Mercy, mm. guides along the border, a lot of activists down there, a lot of them. And then that tells you what story yeah. you're trying to tell. So you met with the Sheriff Joe, Sheriff Joe? <laughs> yeah, Sheriff Joe. Yeah. <laughs> how, what, was that, how, what was that meeting like? Uh, surreal, strange, you know. Um, for you, those of you who don't know, this is the guy, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. He's, he's, the, the, he's the head of the anti-immigrant um, campaign, really, for um, Arizona, which in a lot of ways leads the rest of the country because they like to tell us that they know what's going on on the border, and so therefore we should follow that. Um, but he's been doing it for four decades like that, and now there's a whole presidential campaign based on that out-and-out hatred. Um, so we met with, with, with that guy, very strangely, um, the first, that was our very first interview. Actually. Oh, wow. We planned to go into Nogales, but we landed into Phoenix to go head down there. And that was uh, someone we were working with, uh, Arizona State, finagled the way in. And the guy said, you can have 15 minutes with us. And we tried to cram a whole bunch of questions, but Montoya is really versed in that. And he ended up talking to us for like two hours. Well. Well, but, you know, when you meet people like that, um, if you ever meet people like that, uh, policymakers, power brokers, um, evil people, uh, it's a tricky game. You yeah. know what I mean? Because they're not, they don't meet you and say, I'm bad, F you, get out. They do kind of the opposite. He sort of brought us into his office and regaled us with stories and photographs and played a role of a befuddled old man and then... Mm kind of held court and he ended up talking to us for nearly two hours and it revealed a lot but he also um he played us mm-hmm. he, he he 
he got us where he wanted, you know. Mm. He, we didn't get to ask pointed questions. We didn't get mm. to put him on the spot. We didn't get to yell. Mm. But then in the end, I'm not sure what that would have ultimately done. Did you want to do that? Did you go into the meeting sure. with a with like a sense of righteousness or absolutely. with your like yeah, whatever absolutely. loaded? Yeah. yeah, and then you meet and it's a human being. It's a guy that stands there. He's kind of an old man. Yeah. And um, like I say, he does a routine and it's a really good routine. Yeah. Um, he's been in power for more than 40 years, so he knows what he's doing. Um, and um, it's also just watching uh, that kind of mind at work. It's, it's strange and it's scary yeah. and it's also uh, very seductive. What, how did that affect then the process of writing that character? I'm, yeah. just, I'm thinking about bad guys and I'm thinking yeah. about how like the most compelling bad guys are the ones that you like. Yeah, I mean, so, I think in a lot of ways Montoya says that a lot. He says that he takes his, his boy, Mountain, who's a, a beautiful young kid of six, he says, I take him to the, the movies, the cartoon movies, and he says the, the bad guys is always the, the dragons, 50 wings, 700 heads, 50 swords, and then the, the, good, the good girl is, you know, as a backpack or something, just hell of plain and simple. But you mm -hmm. know, the fascinating one is the one that's flying through the air and, yeah. and spit fire and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So I think what was interesting about sitting and talking with him is that even in his routine, even in his uh, political game, he, um, he revealed himself. And I think sometimes that, that he ended up doing himself in, even if we weren't able to pinpoint and. But it really, more than anything, let us know that uh, policy, rhetoric, zeitgeist, um, mind games, uh, power of word, power of press, that's what, you know, that fuels hate. And yeah. you go, oh, I get it now. Like, it's a state full of brown people, except no one has any power. And it's a state full of brown people that are kind of openly hated. And then you go, how does that equation even work? And you get a glimpse of it when you see it, the power of words and the power yeah. of policy. And has he? Uh, and the play's funny. The play's funny. Has he? Has <laughs> he like seen grimmest it? Grimmest conversation ever. Sheriff um, Joe. Has he? Because he. Because no. Richard Montoya portrays him yeah, in the yeah. play. He's and, the, he's the um, access point of the whole piece. No, he hasn't seen it. Mm. We invited him. Mm. It's so interesting. So, did you have? You said that you um, spent time with Jose Antonio Elena. Rodriguez? Yeah. He spent time with his, his grandmother. grandmother. Yeah, his grandmother. What was that like? Uh, you know, it was a, a grandmother that lost her grandchild. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It was a woman that let us in her house and uh, told us how sweet her grandson was. Mm. Yeah. But, you know... Um, the survivors of, of things like this, as many of us might be in the room, that's a noble game, you know? Strong, she didn't cry, she didn't weep, she didn't plead for sympathy, she didn't yell, she stood there, she stood in the doorway of the kitchen, she stood firm, she told us facts about the kid, like beautiful facts, he had a beautiful smile, he laughed, he played with the other grandchildren, he liked to eat milk and cookies and a one to go, she told us, uh, his uh, the beautiful dreams of his life. Mm. Yeah. Oh gosh, did you did you? Um, this might be a rather esoteric question, but did you feel like you were collaborating with Jose? 
Uh, or did you feel like what was your relationship to this? N- no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I, I I feel like what we say a lot in the thing is that we're trying to to make a case for mm. this boy's life that mm. was taken. Mm. Um, but uh, no, his spirit's all in the air along that border, like mm. right underneath that. I don't know if any of you've seen the border, it's a pretty hideous um, creation that they made. Diabolically high, rusty, huge thing. Billions of dollars spent to create a thing that follows the topography of Nogales, which goes asi, up and down like that. Mm. So instead of going like, well, it's going to be really hard to go up and down hills like that, they go, well, let's let's find the engineers and let's find the time and money and let's build it. Because mm. we want you to know there's a wall that says stay away or stay out or you are not or something. Mm. I don't know. So it's pretty heavy duty. I'm so I'm so interested in what you said around uh, this concept of documentary theater and how this isn't that. And I think that it's something a lot of artists struggle with, like especially artists who are working with like actual historical events. And so do I, I feel like that sense of responsibility to represent it accurately, but then also knowing that representing something accurately might not be the most um, like adventurous or satisfactory, like there might not be the most satisfactory experience aesthetically mm-hmm. or artistically. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, sometimes it's a little less like what what we're going to do aesthetically or what you're going to uh, how you're going to satisfy you to get off on stage. I mean, certainly that's part of it, but I think it's also what questions you ask yourself going into it. Like what, what like our goal. We read this horrible thing about this kid being murdered in the back, which sadly, this is right after the Trayvon Martin acquittal, so it's like, what, every other day, what do they say, every 28 hours? So it's not like it it was sad and shocking, but you want to kind of go underneath that. And so it was less that we were going to say, like some of these piece of crap videos where they show the thing, we actually have to show them a video that says, actually, you really did shoot a guy in the head, and the guy was actually putting his hands in the air. It wasn't that because as soon as by the time we had gotten down there, the facts were already out. The border patrol already made their response. Their actual response was he was throwing rocks. And so it wasn't, we weren't going to be detectives. We weren't going to come up with the the, the right. secret truth of the thing, but rather, like I said at the top, what what is what country do we live in that allows that to happen? And, and this so border- that becomes the case. That's, that's all I mean. Like that's how you pick what facts that you're going to talk about. Right. Yeah, it just makes me think also that this it's not solved yet, right? Like the border patrolman has yet to go to trial. He's, he's going to trial, but yeah, that's right. It's not in 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 the courts. It it's not to, resolved yeah, yet. Yeah. So yeah, so interesting also to just create from something that is like it's still an open book. Yeah. And yeah, and it's also what questions do we ask ourselves when we create a piece? Like, what do we want to? What what question do we want to ask? And we were less interested in saying, "Do you know who killed this boy?" It's mm-hmm. in the news. It's all over the. It's all over the world, and sadly, what became truer when we were working on it is is a year later. By the time we had started. And nothing has changed about this kid's death. So we're not going to mm. change the kid's death. But can we can we pierce our consciousness? Can we upset the way that we think about something? Can we 
can we put blocks in a line that say actually policy making and hate speech actually can lead to death and actually mm-hmm. specifically to this boy's death? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're attempting to do. And so we, the documentary part is less interesting except for it informs everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we're also, you know, I mean, I'm very interested in using the tools that we have. Like I like documentary films, There's a filmmaker family there. Documentary films do things really well. I'm not going to do that better mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. So let's do something else that we can do. Also the power like in this room, like the power of communing. What could we do in this room that would be different than if I sent out uh, uh, a contrary news report? Well, that's what I'm, something I'm writing that you'll read on your computer or on your Twitter. But in here, I want to see what we can feel mm-hmm. together. What can we conjure together? Yeah, conjure. That's a good word, Sean. <laughs> you know, because we are here with the Dancing with the So-Called Hitting Dead the Festival. <laughs> Hit those themes. Do you know what the themes are? Um, dancing with the so- You said them at the top. <laughs> so it's we're like looking like at like spirit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Test fail. <laughs> You know, we've been looking at spirit and spirituality within performance, but we can't really look at spirit without also looking at death. And we can't really look at death without looking at at issues of dedication and memory and loss and ritual. And when when I think about those themes, it just seems like those permeate so much of your own work, which... Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. We we started this group called Campo Santo, and in a lot of ways, you could say Campo Santo is a is a is a graveyard. And I don't think we set out to do a thing like we're going to tell all these stories about the dead. But I think there was something in it when we picked the name, when the name was picked, um, that reviving something, bringing something back to life in some ways. Stories. It was much less or less literally thinking about the dead. But then, as we create, and you and I have created a lot of work together. Uh, in some ways they're all city stories but in more ways maybe they're all ghost stories mm. you know in what is life. the translation of Campo Santo in graveyard sacred, sacred ground, ground. Mm. Yeah. you said graveyard I was like no Sean it's sacred I ask like I'm, <laughs> but yeah, I don't have an agenda Campo Santos, you, know, you call them Campo Santos you call them graveyards yeah. <laughs> my Google Translate said <laughs> I, camp I, of saints <laughs> Saint Camp? Small theater company in San Francisco. <laughs> Applying for a Zellerbach again. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking about something that Ryan Takada, who uh, conceived this festival, said in an earlier interview with, uh, I think it was with The Curious, with Helen Paris and Leslie Hill, about how he goes to performances the way one might go to church, and that that, that showing up in performance spaces um, is is and I, I relate to that. It's where I go to find community. It's where I go to like process the things that are most difficult to process, and it's where I go to find people to process these things with. It's where I go to feel like to put my finger on that really divine mystery. And I just I think I with Campo Santo, it's it's incredible how you've done that I, 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 I as somebody who's been a part of your work for a long time and who's been both on the inside and on the outside to just like feel the um, 
the preciousness, and I mean that in a good way, like the preciousness of that community and the preciousness of that community coming together to, to what? To pray? I, no, I, I think in a lot of ways there's something to be said. You know, I talk about all this hate that we're battling against, but then the power of, the power of love is, is pretty profound. Um, I think there's also something just in empowering people and I think empowering through storytelling. And I think in the simple ways, like tell your grandmother's story. My grandmother's story, you know, my grandmother's like the greatest person ever, 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 ever. No one knows her stories. I mean, she has a lot of big family. They know her stories. And so we all have those things. We all walk around with those things. We all carry those things. And I think it's a mixture of both being able to see yourself. It still goes back to that for me. You know, that's why we say something really, like, underlying, it's by people of color. Because we still have to say that in this country. You mm. have to say it's by people of color. If there's a guy that might win the presidency basing his campaign on hatred, not like veiled hatred, but like, I hate Mexicans. I hate Muslims. I hate Mexicans. What country do we live mm -hmm. in? And so you still have to say things, well, we're actually going to do the opposite of you, partner. We're going to do something mm. that is about and for people of color. Mm. I think that that kind of community can still have power. It's not new by yeah. any means, but it certainly still is necessary and powerful. I think that combined with what you were saying too, um, that we need places to go to to talk about the things we can't talk about. You know, and you talk about people, I talk about people of color. Um, I'm a male I'm sorry, CIS. I'm a <laughs> cisgender male. That um, hot. I really mean that. I'm not being just snotty about it. Um, it. And I say all that to say person of color because I grew up with a lot of inabilities to express. Mm. But then there's a lot of feelings going on. So it's a really confusing world when your slow ass wakes up and goes, mm. oh, I have all these feelings. What do I do with these feelings? Oh, oh, my uncle got shot in the back. What am I supposed to do with that? Oh, my mama got AIDS. What am I supposed to do with that? Oh, my partner Darn got murdered by the police in Oakland. Oh, we're selling dope and that doesn't feel really good because then I saw this lady strung out on dope and I think some, you know, all these questions, you get screwed up and you're complicit. Some of them you, you've done and some of them you've witnessed. Some of them were thrust upon you, but then you go like that. You don't know what to do with it. And we're, we're, we're nimble people. We're agile people, people of color, immigrants, children of immigrants, just survivors, anyone who's a survivor, women, queer folk, anyone that has been fucked with. And then you get tough, and you get and you dance through life, but then you dance really good at it at a certain point. You're like, I'm, I got this shit. I don't feel shit anymore. Mm. I'm so good at this. I'm so good. And then you realize you wake up in the middle. I wake up in the middle of the night. You go, I can't sleep. I drink a hell of coffee. That's not why I can't sleep though. I can't sleep because there's there's all this, and the world doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compete. It doesn't complete itself. Mm. You know, I tell people, all I've been playing around like this for a while and still do it for the same reason. I have a very hard time out there in life. I don't have another place to go <laughs> to try and figure these things out in an honest way. And it's not psychology. It's not a, 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 an excuse to go to a shrink and let myself out or let you all listen to me talk. But it's a place where I have to go and I go, 
what? You feel the same thing? Mm-hmm. Have you done that? Can, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that you go, people go like, no, partner, that's you. And then you go, okay, I got to go with that. They go, no, that's hard. It's really, really hard. And, you know, the three things always come up for me. You know, it's, I grew up with two epidemics like many of us did. So it's AIDS and crack. They both kind of wind up dealing with death. And we grew up here. And for those of us who were raised in the United States, you grew up here where people say things to you like, you good now? Mm-hmm. You got closure? You cool? Mm-hmm. I lost my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone that goes, you, know, you lose your mom. Like, what do you mean, am I good? Yeah. Am I good? So you need, we need places for, for all those things, you know. Um, and then it becomes, uh, there is something. I don't know if it's church-like. I don't know what it is, but you sit in a room and you get 60 seconds where you go, I, I think I kind of feel like I'm in the same world with everyone. I think that helps a lot. Um, and I think it helps just as much to look and go, like, person, is not that's not my story, but this lady is crying about it, so it has meaning. I must learn about why it has meaning. Yeah. Helps me learn about the world. Um, you mentioned the, your mom, and I know that that... That was a character. I wasn't talking a character. Um, the character playing Sean <laughs> lost the character playing... Yeah, no, I, I lost both my parents to AIDS. And I, and I know that it's... Um, when, I, when I was thinking about the way that you transformed that loss into action... Uh, I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about pieces of the quilt. I know this is going way back, but just how sure. that came to be and what that what that yeah, project was. Yeah, I mean, was. I think it's all similar stuff I've been talking about. I mean, if you look out in the world and if you don't see yourself, and the world tells us one thing, and then we experience another thing. And with AIDS, we grew up in a world where our stupid president didn't say the word. So you, the president of the United States, didn't say the word of the epidemic that was spreading throughout his own country. So are we then logically led to believe that it doesn't exist? And then that's what they tell us, because that's what the president is telling us. I'm not saying the president's the only person, but everything kind of shit falls down. And so we walk around in that world and they tell us that, they tell us all kinds of things. And so at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're stuck in an epidemic and our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our co-workers are dying and there's not a lot to be done about it. And by the time that my, my, um, my mother got AIDS, I, um, you know, I had lost a lot of people by that point. I grew up in San Francisco, so, uh, you know, uh, nothing new in that story, sadly. But I didn't, I kind of, I didn't know what else, I didn't know what to do. You know, just as like a boy, a little a, mother, a mother's boy, I didn't know what to do, and so I did kind of what I said. Like I was like, well, I work in theater. What should I do? I should try and do something that translates to that. So part of it was that I was working in theater, and I didn't see theater that um, I guess was doing that enough. And this is long, longer time. <laughs> it's ago. like 1995. Mm, yeah, 1994, 95. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so. Uh, you know, there weren't cool TV shows that had, you know, like how the queer folks and 
people living with AIDS. There weren't cool AIDS drugs that let people live for a mm-hmm. long time. And so you got AIDS and you died. You could battle it, but you died. Um, and so I think I can look back at it now and say, like, this is why I did what I did. But I was like, I'm going to do the thing, and we're going to get together, we can tell hell of stories about it, get people in the theater. Because the the taboo of it was still very active in mm-hmm. my life, very much so that you gay, you do dope, you fucked up, you got AIDS. Mm-hmm. It was very much, in my world, very, very active thing that you had to fight against. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like if we told real human stories, no boogeyman, no sheets over faces, no the creature walked in the room and took my friends, mm-hmm. which are cool. It's just not the kind of thing that uh, stirs me to action. Yeah. That if we just put some human faces to AIDS, maybe we could sit side by side with each other. There were short pieces, and if I could go like, hey, Erica, that one reminded me of my cousin. You go, that's interesting. The one before it reminded oh. me of my best friend. And we go, oh, right, everyone gets it. it it's a... It's a communal thing. So structurally, Pieces of the Quilt was produced by The Magic, and um, it was a collection of well, it was short a little group plays. We, we did a group called Alma Delfina where we just straight up wrote letters to writers and said, would you write a short And the writers day? you got signed on were amazing, like Edward Albee and Tony Kushner and Intozaki Shange. I mean, you, you really pulled together... I think one of the when I was looking into this, it was just incredible to see these artists, these writers who were such like big hitters yeah. paired next to folks that we might not know. So that kind of like horizontal democracy within that project is really it's something that we don't often see. Yeah. Right? yeah, and I think that's just people responding to the world. Yeah. Like, so they all had stories of people who had died of AIDS. So yeah. it wasn't like um, it wasn't a, a big sell job. Right. And I think the idea exactly that you're saying that stories of different magnitudes sold, told side by side was kind of the mm-hmm. idea. Also told side by side in any kind. It was envisioned to be done anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you performed it in theaters and schools and Yeah, the prisons. Magic Theater ended up producing like a collection of mm-hmm. it as a theatrical thing because we wanted to say it's a theatrical thing too, but we really started doing it in, in clinics and mm-hmm. Castro and Mission and then in schools and libraries mm-hmm. and places like this. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then a few years later, you started a project called "I Feel Love" with Erin Cressida Cressida Wilson. Yeah. She's a writer. Yeah, when well, we were by time we were going along pretty good with Campo Santo, and um, we just came up with this other idea to do more uh, about AIDS. And what was that? What was the play? I feel love. What was that about? Well, the the you know, the play went back to a question about, you know, Aaron had asked me, why don't you talk about your, your, your parents? And I thought, I had talked about it a lot because the, the piece we did, Pieces of the Quilt, people responded to, so like in the papers or whatever, talked about it. So um, I think the idea that my parents had AIDS and that they died of AIDS was out there, and that was the story to mm. me. But then whatever that was, maybe... Mm, I don't know, eight years hence after they had both passed away they died within a year and a half of each other um, I, obviously I was still dealing with it and I think that was more like a temperature check mm-hmm. like, so what goes on if you think you dealt with something and you publicly have dealt with it um, 
Yeah, what was that like to deal with something so personal so publicly and to to I mean you you're not you know you seem like a well you are a private person and mm-hmm. and to have your like the deepest part of your story in the newspapers and in the world and how how is that for you or how uh, was that I think it seemed important you know I think at the time I think the idea that a, a younger 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 um, person could have parents dying of AIDS seemed strange and mm-hmm. shocking and it was sort of like whatever can get people to listen to it mm. um, through the numbness um, and so I think it was good to do I think it ended up messing me up as a human being because I, I thought that I had yeah. I thought I had, de- had been dealing with it all Did you just feel naked? Like you had, like walk, I just imagine walking really. down the street and feeling like my pants are down or something. Nah, because that's just a, that's just a statement. Mm. My parents died of AIDS. Mm. Like we should know that. It's not like mm. a secret to me. Right. Secret right. parts are like, you know, I lost my mom's house because there were hella medical bills and I was a, a wreck of a human being mm. and, I had to move things out in the middle. That's like the secret mm-hmm. things. That's the stuff that I... And did those secret things... Like, did you find a voice for those secret things in I Feel Love? No. Nah. Mm-hmm. I think doing a, a play that you... The play in some ways is about a person like me that loses their parents and then tries to figure out how to make life when you're obsessed with death. Mm-hmm. So it's about a guy trying to have a baby because his mother never saw his baby and she died. Did you, did you, uh, could you read a little bit from that play? I'm sure, yeah, sure. I recently looked at the the video of this work, I Feel Love, by Aaron Cressetta Wilson, and Camposanto is online, and it's a beautiful piece to, to check out. This is just the text of the thing that was performed with a... Um, performed together with a, a live band, um, Shahrazad Stone and Josh Jones Ensemble. It's really pretty amazing. So it's kind of like, um, imagine if you would be alone listening to records in the middle of the night and this is how it started. My parents, both my parents are dead. I killed them. Gave them both morphine and they died softly and asleep. They died slowly though still, two years, four years, then eight years, and finally it was too much and I killed them. No one deserves to die that young, but no one deserves to live like that. Oh, they died of AIDS too. I gave them AIDS too. Well, I told the world they had AIDS, so like that I gave them AIDS, sad truth. The saddest things I will ever, ever hear, I've heard already. Over radio stations, truck exhaust, red sirens, next patient announcements, miss. My mother told me she will miss holding my child. I don't have a child. I think that's what she meant. She will miss holding her grandchild. She sat next to me in my truck and said, she cried through words that said, they told me my eyes is losing, I'm gonna lose my vision. Have you ever had your mother cry 
into your hands, down your arm, fingernails in your wrist. I'd never seen my mom cry before that. I only heard her a couple times behind her bedroom door. My dad once told me, this ain't shit. He meant his life. I'd found him on the backroom floor where the dog slept lying in folds for how long, I don't know. There weren't any lights on in the house and he was on the floor within a kick from the dog food dish. So the dog water bowl spilled out behind him. When I slipped my arms into his, arm, into his armpits to slowly try and lift him without pulling his arms from his limbs, he was that weak. He said into my ears, I lifted him on my shoulder. He said, this ain't shit. This ain't shit. This ain't no way to live. You know that saying, uh, rather die on my feet than live on my knees. He could do neither. Now I live with both those days, both sunny days, melting into my every breath, every day, every ride, every walk, every window I look through, that's what I see. That's what I hear in all my mom's music. That's what I hear through the escaping screams of my disco fantasies, you know? That's what I hear at 4 a.m. in the middle of a dance floor. That's what I bob my head to at every DJ shout. That's what I waltz to at every tea dance. That's the beat I hear to the slide across the floor. My dad's unwalking legs. That's what I see as the strobe takes a tour through the sweaty disco. My mom's vanishing vision. And that's my last dance. The band played on. Temptations, Randy Schiltz. Temptations was 1971, 1979, so all I can control is the past, the history, my history. Let me tell you a tune or two. You think you know the song, right? You heard it all. It's San Francisco. It's discos, dances, bathhouses. <gasps> a tawdry HBO treatment. Needles, blood, semen, HIV, and AIDS. But you don't know it. You carried your mother to the bathroom because she couldn't hold her walker? At age 41? You wiped your dad's spit-up soup all over his now 105-pound body at age 42. You may know sickness. You may know misery. But you don't know the whole song. Remember the sound. That fuzzy sound of a record. You remember taping songs on the radio with cassette recorders. Remember the smell of mimeographs and the purple on our fingers, the smell of paste, the taste of gold stars. You can't know it till I tell you. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sean. Yeah, thank you. The play was funnier and had music. Mm. <laughs> like mm. 11 p.m., Sean San Jose Radio <laughs> That's not bad. I'm, 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 I want to talk about one more mm. person in your life, and her name is Cielo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, you have a daughter now. I do have oh, a daughter. Oh, Sean. Yeah, I'm lucky. 
Creator's good. God is good. How's it going? Are you sleeping? Yeah, I'm a tweaker. I never slept anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not sleeping, but I'm, I'm really, really happy. I mean, that's the thing about life, you know. I wrote that thing. It's interesting. We did that thing. There's that line about you when know, my mom told me that actual story. That's not the real story, but the actual story. She really did say that thing that really, really messed me up for a lot, a lot of time in my human life. The fact that my mother's wish was to to hold a kid, and so I, I I gave up the thought that I could do that because I lost my mother, and I think um, that epitomizes the kind of person I am. Mm. I think I became so um, uh, beholden to the love I felt to those that I lost. That it made it harder to live. Mm. It's just the reality of it. But now I have a really beautiful daughter, and her name is Cielo Delfina. Uh, and I'm just the luckiest person in the world. Cielo Delfina Francisca Yutna San Jose Chien. That's right. Did I get it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, where Cielo, where did the name Cielo come from? Well, it means heaven or sky. And Delfina is uh, my mom's name. And Francisca is a version of my, my, my best friend's name. And we're from San Francisco, the, the two natives of us that are here. And um, Yetna uh, means like graceful moon, it's her Chinese name. And San Jose is, 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 is my last, my mother's name, my grandma's name. Um, and Chen is her mother's name. It's, I, I just, I'm so um, amazed with the feeling of, like, within her name, she's holding, she is keeping the memory of all of those people alive. And so much of your work is about keeping the memory of people alive and how you've, you've given your daughter the gift of, 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 of holding Give her a long birth certificate. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you a lot of questions about like how you fit all of those names on the birth certificate. My yeah. My son's foot, the stamp thing at the hospital, it wouldn't it wouldn't fit there. But um so we've we've given our kids burdens <laughs> at birth. <laughs> oh Sean, I, I wish that we could talk. I feel like I could talk uh for a long time, but I'm happy that we will continue the conversation in our lives and in our work, and I'm just so grateful for you um, being here. So th thank you thank so you. much for being here. Cool. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. The audio engineer for this episode was Ramdas Khalsa. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast.